the Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney Plus, celebrating all LGBTQIA plus identities. Teletalks, Virgin Radio Pride. Hello and welcome to Virgin Radio Pride's Teletalks, the time of the day where we can hunker down and talk about everything on the box. I'm Benji Potter, tele fanatic and podcaster. And I'm Rod McPhee, TV editor on The Sun. Each week we'll be getting to know a different celebrities' viewing habits by having a good old rifle through their personal teleguide. They'll pick their five formative LGBTQ plus TV shows or moments and then they'll share them with us. From This Life to Will Young winning Pop Idol to It's a Sin, there are so many LGBTQ plus TV shows and moments in them which we can discuss. Rod, have you got a favourite LGBTQ plus character from telly? Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one, but it's Hazel from Queer as Folk. Um, she was the matriarch of the gay Manchester posse in the Russell T Davies drama. I don't know if you remember, but uh, she was absolutely hilarious. She was Stuart's mum, and she was just the most incredible character. Do you remember her? I don't remember her exactly. I watched... I kind of sped through Queer as Folk... But I do know so many of those Hazel-type characters, you know. Was she a little bit like... Or maybe maybe I've got this totally wrong. Was she a little bit like Jill in It's a Sin? She was very much the forerunner of Jill. Because, obviously, that's they're both Russell T Davies dramas. And I think you can see the parallel between those two characters. Um, but... You know, there's so many amazing characters and moments in these in these LGBTQ plus TV shows. Now, today's guest on Teletalks is a figurehead of UK club culture and the only person you want behind the decks at your A-list bash. He spun tunes for the likes of the Beckhams, Kate Moss and Elton John, to name but just a few, and had some choice words for Madge when he played her birthday party. But behind the veneer of his DJing persona... Fat Tony was going through a much darker struggle with drugs that wrecked many of his closest relationships. In his brand new autobiography, I Don't Take Requests, he charts his rise from a Battersea council estate to the heady heights of the London clubbing scene, running amok with the legendary boy George, to a small seaside rehab where he managed to get himself clean and go on to rebuild his relationship with his father before he sadly passed away. Now... Rod and I both raced through this book and we're delighted to have DJ Fat Tony on the show. Fat Tony, welcome to Teletalks. Oh, thanks, guys. Uh, Queer as Folk, I don't remember Queer as Folk. You know, I'm probably the only person that ever watched it because I was out partying the whole time. I literally, I would have conversations about that TV programme uh, with people and I'd just be like, oh, yeah, 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 never watched it. <laughs> well, well, I'm amazed you had time to watch any TV between all the sex, drugs and party. <laughs> or, or is it that you can do all these things and watch TV? Really, never good, with, really good with daytime TV. I mean, someone who's existed within that world of pop culture, how important a part has TV played in that, would you say? Oh, majorly. You know, uh, uh, you know for me, uh, I learned so much from TV and I still do. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, I, I'm obsessed by TV. The TV's on in my house constantly and I just think that, you know, it's forever evolving. Do you know what I mean? It's very slow pace on some channels <laughs> saying no names. But, you know, that's okay. Yeah, yeah it's okay. And, you know, it's, there's, I, I'm obsessed by TV. And in terms of LGBTQ yeah. plus TV, 
Do you think a lot of the mystery and shock values of shows like that has gone now, or do you actually think it's better now when you watch TV that it's quite commonplace on our screens? Often? I think I, I think that we've moved forward a couple of inches, but also we've kind of let back an, a, a good meter in some cases. You know, uh, the way thing we're portrayed and we have been portrayed since the seventies, eighties, and nineties as shut that door, or Larry Grayson, or Dick Emery, or any of those things, or Little Britain, for instance. I mean, that kind of TV humour puts us back. You know, it always has done, and I and I kind of just think it paints us all with wearing feather boas and high heels and screaming, which there's nothing wrong with feather boas and, and running and screaming. But what it does do, that's not what that does. It's not very. Uh, it, there's a lot more to our community than that. And I just think when they, we're portrayed in TV programmes, it kind of is, it can be quite dated. It's, it's interesting I mean? that because Little Britain was on some like 20 or 30 years after that era of Larry Grayson and yeah. Dick Emery. And yet it did conjure up a lot of those images, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, for you, you mentioned Little Britain. I mean, it, it, was that something that made you cringe when you watched it and it, it set us back quite a lot? Uh, I didn't cringe because I also laughed with it. I, I laughed uncomfortably at certain parts of it, like I do with most things. I mean, I laugh at my own jokes sometimes and that's quite uncomfortable as well because <laughs> I, I kind of shock myself when I say certain things. And I think, <laughs> so I just laugh at it and, and yeah. walk off and just think, oh my God, why did you say that? And I kind of found that with a lot of those... T- that like Little Britain and that kind of mentality of programme. Do you know what I mean? I kind of found it, it was, there was, there was, I find humour in everything anyway, but there were points where I would be thinking, oh no, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, David Williams is David Williams and he's very successful at what he does. But sometimes I see him in places, like the other day I was doing something for Elton, John Clang, and I did, <laughs> I was doing the EGF thing the other night and David Williams was presenting it and he was camping it up and I just thought, stop, that's not your area. Yeah. Have you not learned from the fact that Little Britain's been banned that yet you'll still get out there and pretend to be a gay man? You're not a gay man. You're with your model girlfriend sitting there. Stop. Do you know what I mean? Because if I got up there and started pretending to be straight, you guys wouldn't like it. Or believe it. No, totally. <laughs> oh, I think they would. I carried it off for many a year. Have you seen my grinder profile? Uh, <laughs> bye. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> Tony, you so eloquently talk about camp personas, screaming, feather boas, and it brings us very nicely to your first pick. Will you introduce it for us? The Naked Civil Servant. Are you keen on this girl then, Quentin? Keen? Yes. Good God, no. She's a friend. I mean, friendship exists. Don't think anything else does. I think all this thing between men and women is something invented by novelists. Love. Because that's what people want to believe. Have you ever felt love? Honestly, I haven't. (laughs) Your son's not one of those, is he? (laughs) (laughs) One of what? One of those who don't love women. That's just my point. I don't think anyone does. <laughs> it's really important. You know, it's one of those... It was, it was it, it, John Hurt playing Quentin Crisp. Now, for anyone who's not familiar with who Quentin Crisp is, go do your research. Because what the, the reason I chose this is because as a kid growing up, we were, if you were gay and you were in school in the 70s and 80s, you got called Quentin Crisp. 
Oh, Quentin Crisp, you know, because he was a flamboyant, he had red hair, he was, he, he was a, a gay man living in, this, in, in, in the 30s and 40s in London, uh, growing up when homosexuality was still banned and they raided gay clubs and they, you were arrested and put in prison for buggery. And Quentin Crisp played it so well and John Hurt was just such an incredible person. And I actually went and had lunch with Quentin Crisp in New York on Three or, three or four different occasions because you could actually ri r ring him and arrange to have lunch with him to take him out for lunch. That's how he earned his money and you would pay him, like, give him money to have lunch with him. And he was such a remarkable dust-covered person. <laughs> he, you know, you just... Yeah, he's a remarkable person. And, you know, he fought... He was one of the first fighters. You know, we talk about Peter Tatchell and we talk about all of these amazing people that stand up for their rights. Quinn and Chris was one of the first to do that. You he, know. he made it his life's work, didn't he? he to did. kind of fight for the cause. It totally embodied him. He was kind of the gay Emmeline Pankhurst. Yeah, that's he, not an overstatement. He was, but also, you know, I, I don't think he, he saw it as a cause. I saw it as he was fighting for himself. He was fighting to be who he was. And, and you know, that's where a lot of modern day activists, and I hate that word activists, come from. They get it wrong because they're fighting for a cause that really they don't understand. Mm. Do you get what I mean? A lot of them don't understand really what they're fighting for you know if you stop half the people on a march for uh black Lives matters for instance or you know uh anti-vaxxers you know i ask them these questions what are you actually marching for and they will tell you oh because of this and because of that so they're not really they don't really they're not really sure what they are whereas quentin really knew who he was and knew what his beliefs were and he stood for stood up for himself and i think it's remarkable it's an incredible bit an incredible film I see him very much in the same tradition as Oscar Wilde or 100%. Boy George, yeah. in the sense that they were entirely 100% themselves and didn't give a damn what anyone else yeah, thought. Yeah, totally authentic. But almost their sexuality was irrelevant. It was all about them walking down the street, wearing what they wanted, looking how they wanted and not giving a damn. And when you watch this show, that very much comes across, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I like the fact that you, you, you know, the the fact that it wasn't about their sexuality. Because when you met, when you met, if, if you ever met Quentin, he was the most unsexual person you'd ever meet. There was no, like, sexual endo with him. Mm. There was no, like, sleazy old man or any of that, that feeling. You, you, it was it was really remarkable. It was like almost meeting a duchess or a dame. Do you know what I mean? In the way he was, you know, yes, he was eccentric. And he, he, he well, what is eccentric? Something that we don't relate to or something, you know. And I mean, I really related to him. I thought he was an incredible masterpiece of a human being, you know, for what he went through and literally what his beliefs were. And I just think, you know, we don't have enough of that right now. I was going to say, when you see stars like Harry Styles, mm. sort of, they're trying to emulate some of that, trying to capture some of that. You know, they're wearing nail varnish, they might be wearing women's clothes or makeup. Are we talking about Bowie? Well, no. Again, you get the same feeling that they're, that they're trying to beg, borrow, and steal from that image. Does that make you roll your eyes and think that they're just piggybacking on the likes of Quentin Crisp, or do you actually quite like that? No, I think I think you know they all need to be celebrated in their own way. Do you know what I mean? What Harry's doing is, you know, it's fashion. 
right? And, it, you know, it's not him going out there wearing wigs and trying to wear fishnet tights and being doing something from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm. What he is actually doing is fashion and he's bringing... It's like sticking one finger up at everybody that is uh, is anti what he's doing because he's just... He's being flamboyant. There's a difference between being flamboyant and crossing the line, Mm. You know, and I and I respect Harry Styles for what he does, and I I, I think he looks he looks great half the time. Do you get what I mean? <laughs> no, it, I mean you know that's not a backhanded comment. He he actually, you know, the the, the stylist and everyone around him, the, the team are really good, and I, and, I, and I just think you know it's the same with Bo. Bo was incredible. He brought he made it okay to wear lipstick as it's, as did Boy George. Well, we're going to still come, does, yeah. We're going to come on to both Boy George and David Bowie later on. So more fab telly picks from DJ Fat Tony coming up. Telly Talks, Virgin Radio Pride. You're listening to Telly Talks on Virgin Radio Pride. We're here with legendary DJ Fat Tony going through his top telly picks. Tony, we're off to a flying start. What else have you got for us? Okay, next one's a really, really close to home one, and one that kind of revolutionised so much and made it okay for half of East London to run round in drag with beards. You know, uh, and they, but you know, a lot of people still love to forget. You know, well, the, the problem with us today is that we don't, we forget our history that made us it possible for us to be who we are. And Boy George's first appearance on Culture Club, uh, on top of the pops, with Culture Club, with Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Should we take a listen? The year was 1982, Tony. Do you yes. remember it? Of course I remember it. I remember it well. I was working in the King's Road in the Great Gear Market at the time. Uh, I'd been thrown out of school and I'd got a Saturday job working there and then I kind of just stayed there and, and become full-time employer. And George used to come in and he used to walk up and down the King's Road on a Saturday afternoon. And George used to come in. And my way of my introduction to anyone at that point in time was say the most nastiest thing you could possibly think of and they'll love you for it. I think it I know someone like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you're looking at me there. But, you know, it's always an icebreaker, you know, so I would tell him how rubbish his air was and stuff like that. And, and you know, and then... Uh, he st- st- suddenly formed a band called Culture Club and I remember going to see them the first gig ever at Fubert's place and I really, really wanted to hate it. You know, because I, you know, I was a jealous little queen. I was such a jealous little queen. And I, I, it blew me away. It blew me away. So when he comes to do Culture Club on Top of the Pops, when they did, they suddenly... The, the single came out and the, it, it didn't do very well straight away and then suddenly it shot up the, to, up the charts and he went on top of the pops. You know, there was this whole, for the next month, was it, who, is it a boy, is it a girl, why is he wearing makeup? And suddenly, you know, the, the whole nation just suddenly warmed to this guy with, with dreadlocks and makeup, a full face of makeup and wearing dresses and it wasn't really a dress, it was a smock. But it kind of just changed people's preconceptions. And what did that performance do to your own relationship with your gender and sexuality? Were you going through your own I mean, awakening was, at the time? Yeah, at that point in time, I was doing drag. I was I had my own drag act called Die on a Dog, and we used to play at Camden Palace and we play at Heaven and all these places. And Princess Julia and Sue Tilly and lots of other major characters and game players were all in it. There was like fifteen of us in this, in this show, and so you know, 
it made it okay for us all to start wearing makeup and made it okay for for me to be going out of the house in in drag and doing what I was doing because it kind of just was like it opened that door to a new world do you know what I'm saying but what was it that boy George did that David Bowie didn't because obviously Bowie some years earlier he donned all the makeup and the sort of gender bending as they called it sort of thing what did Boy George do that was so different and take it to the next level? I think it was a different generation. I kind of think it was more pop. Bowie, Bowie was this master of, of, of changing and it was just another look for him. They'd not seen anything like Boy George before. Mm. You know, suddenly this this guy was on there wearing like full length like smock dresses and, and espadrilles and a hat with plaits and literally a full face of makeup. And, with, and when he opened his mouth, he had this voice that was like an angel. And it kind of just blew it away but it also what George did was he made it accessible there were things for people to copy like Bowie did as well everyone wanted to be Bowie back then I'm too young for that era but with that with this era you know everybody suddenly wanted hats and plaits and you know they all wanted and we at the point in time we were coming out of the the gender the the whole new romantic era so you know that, that they were still on the tail end of that people still loved the flamboyancy of it of dressing up Tony, I love that pick. What's next? Uh, next we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's complicated. Because of Tara. You mean Tara has a crush on us? No, you... Oh. Oh. Um. Well... That's great. You know, I mean, I think, I think Tara's a, a really great girl, Will. She is. And there's something between us. It wasn't something I was looking for. It's just powerful. And it's totally different from what Oz and I have. Tara's and Willow's relationship, first lesbian relationship on American TV. Not just on TV, but like, you know, the fact that it was such a, a massive thing to be on American TV in a lesbian relationship. So we see lesbian relationships on the TV all the time nowadays on shows like Orange is the New Black. But back when Buffy the Vampire Slayer came out, having such a prominent lesbian relationship on American TV was significant, right? Oh, majorly, because, you know, Buffy was such a cult TV programme. And it wasn't sort of like, you know, just, it was like, okay, this is aimed at this community or that community every community watched Buffy everyone could relate to Buffy in some way because it was that fantasy and to actually bring a lesbian relationship into a vampire series was a really beautiful thing and it was so well done I mean I spent endless hours perving over Angel and Spike one week it would be Angel and the next week it would be Spike you know well you know that was it for me and but when they brought the relationship in it kind of changed everything it was kind of like wow, okay, this is really going in a different direction. And, you know, and it was Buffy. It wasn't trying to be anything else. It was this fantasy TV programme. Yeah, it was incredible. Do you ever think that on TV shows, the sort of gay love between men overshadows it between women? You know, we can think of lots of TV shows, and we're going to talk about some today, where it's two men. But lesbian love affairs... You know, there's still not quite as many, is there? Why well, you no, you know, but you also got to go back to Brookside, right, when we had the first lesbian kiss ever on TV. 
which was Anna Friel. And I've got a really good Anna Friel story, actually. But with Anna Friel, and, you know, that was, like, revolutionary. That changed television. That changed broadcasting. Oh, my God, the first lesbian kiss. And there was uproar. It was Brookside. Crying out loud. But, but that's the thing, Tony. Uh, hearing you talk about Buffy, hearing you talk about Boy George, that's the beauty of pop culture. It can reel you in with its allure 100%. and then it can tell you things about communities you may not know, you may 100%. not have heard of, or worse, you may be scared of. It's like Google Maps. <laughs> it really is. It, it, it totally is. You know, you think you know where you're going and then suddenly you you think, oh, hang on, I'm a little bit lost here. And you suddenly open Google Maps and you're in the total wrong direction <laughs> in, a, in a totally wrong city. Do you know what I mean? And barking up the wrong tree. It's exactly the same thing. So what we do is if you're sitting at home and you suddenly, you know, you, you're kind of battling with who you are and you see a programme like Buffy and they're, they're making it okay to have a lesbian relationship in it. It it kind of will spark something in you and just think, okay, wow, that's who I am or what I am. Do you get what I'm saying? We'll be back with more from DJ Fat Tony on Virgin Radio Pride. Telly Talks. Virgin Radio Pride. Welcome back to Telly Talks on Virgin Radio Pride. DJ Fat Tony has picked some absolute gems so far, and I'm excited to hear about what's next. What's next? Oh, next is is we're bringing it right up to date really well. A couple of years ago, but shit's great. All right. Um... I would like to dedicate this song to a very special someone in my life. David Rose. Okay. There he is. Right there. That's him. <laughs> Can't miss him. Can let me know if I should pull the fire alarm? Yes. I call you when I need you, my heart's on fire. You come to me, wild and wild. You come to me, and give me everything I need. I mean, the best, simply the best. I mean, I've got to say, you've got such an eclectic telly taste. <laughs> you really, really do. Um, why did you choose Shit's Creek? Oh, I, I love Shit's Creek. I mean, literally... Uh, my boyfriend at the time was really into it and I was like, mm, I haven't watched it. And the, the very first time I ever saw Moira, I just, was, that was it for me. I was hooked, lined and sinkered into it. And David's character, you know, the, it's such a brilliant character because I know so many people like him that wear Neil Barrett, <laughs> lightning shirts and, you know, everything. I could really relate to it and I just found it really real. And I just think their relationship, the way it blossomed in that programme was so good. And when he did, when he did the acoustic version, Version was simply the best. It was. It made me cry. It was one of those moments that was just like, "Wow, I love this so much." You know. And then the mar- the wedding with Moira. Did you ever see it? Personally, Shit's Creek. I couldn't stand it. Yeah, but that's because you never really got into it. You have to once you got past the third or fourth episode, and you started to realise who the character characters were and what part they played in it. You really grew into it. It was an amazing programme because, you know, you just like suddenly followed this journey of them and it got better and better and better as the seasons went along. But some programmes get worse and worse. You know, it's a bit like Game of Thrones. The first three episodes, you think, oh, what is everyone talking about? This is rubbish. This is so boring. 
You know, where's all, where's the mystic and magic? And suddenly, boom! On the fifth episode, it all changes. All right, you've got me down. So I'll give it. I'll give it another go. All right, Trust on me. your recommendation, because this acoustic version is simply the best. It's the best. Does sound, does sound you can quite Google good. just 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 do what most kids do today and just Google that one part. <laughs> Did you partly enjoy it because obviously it was one of those? I think it was one of the lockdown hits, wasn't it? Yeah. Do you think that that's owed a lot to its success? Is the fact that people were sort of trapped indoors and they wanted. A big long series to watch. Do you think? Do you think that explains? I think so a lot, and also it was escapism, and it was, and it was really funny. As I say, Moira, the character, as you watched her, she morphed and morphed and morphed into this amazing character. By the end of season, whatever it was, like three seasons or four seasons, I think they had, or no more than that, wasn't it? About seven or something. By the end of it, you just loved her so much because she was so funny. And I mean, I know so many people that will recite Moira one-liners to you all day long. I didn't believe... I couldn't believe it when I found out that she was Macaulay Culkin's mum in Home Alone. Yep. Look, no look, way. Benji's Benji's got a stunned look on his face here, but seriously, <laughs> that was a total shock to me because the character's so good in Shit's Creek. You know, she she I've never known a character like it before. She's you know, she's she's an amazing actress and and you know, it was literally just threw her back where she needed to be, do you get what I mean? Into, yeah. into the front line, like in, in into like into the floodlights of where she needed to be. An amazing character. We'll be back with DJ Fat Tony's final top telly pick in just a moment. Telly Talks. Virgin Radio Pride. Unfortunately, Tony, we've come to your final telly talks pick on Virgin Radio Pride. But we're really ending on a high, aren't we? Yeah, totally, 100%. A Beautiful Thing by Jonathan Harvey. You've been spying on me? No. Someone at work, so you go in. We don't mean I'm gay. They want to mind their own business. That's what I said. What are you getting on at me for, then? Because sometimes, Jamie, I can put two and two together and make bloody four. I'm not bloody stupid, you know? I went for a drink. Big deal. Everyone in my class goes drinking. Yeah. But they don't all go to the bloody Gloucester, though, do they? Some of them take drugs. At least I ain't doing that. No, I bloody hope you're not! Thanks a lot. Thanks a bundle. Go back to bed. I can't sleep, Jamie. Don't take it out on me. Will you just talk to me, Jamie? I'm knackered. Jamie. Please, just talk to me. What about? I'm your mother. Uh, groundbreaking. You know, it really, it, it, it got it so right on so many levels. And, you know, everybody dreamed of being that kid on the council estate falling in love with their best mate. Do you know what I mean? We all went through that phase of where, when we were growing up, that we fell in love with one of our school friends, you know, really did, and fantasised about them and just really wanted that relationship. And when A Beautiful Thing came out, it really was a beautiful thing. And it was so well done and so well orchestrated, it stood the test of time. For me, it's a, it's a TV great. And, and it was true, wasn't it? It yeah. felt true. It felt real. It felt like yeah. something that could have happened you know it really did and because Jonathan Harvey is such a great writer you know he went on from there to do Gimme 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 and, and so many amazing TV greats he does Coronation Street some of the most funniest funniest scenes on Coronation Street are Jonathan Harvey Gold and you know and so uh, the, the beauty of a, of a Beautiful Thing was the fact that it was so simple there was no like major drum rolls with it or anything it was just it was it was the, the simplicity of reality of two people falling in love 
It's interesting because so many times whenever gay storylines occur, whether it's in movies or TV, it's always, you know, somebody takes their own life. Yeah. Or somebody somebody dies or, or somebody goes off and runs off with a, a woman instead and tries to lead a heterosexual life. Yeah. But this was just two lads that fell in love with each other and basically that was it. And But it, a heterosexual love story happens in exactly the same way. They don't need these other disasters. But up to that point, there was lots and lots of uh, gay TV shows and, and films and basically... They always felt like they had to have some awful element, and there, there wasn't one here, was there? No, there wasn't. It, it was it, it, it kind of the beauty of it was the fact that, as I said before, it was so simple and it was so real because it was it, it, they made it natural. Mm. They made it a natural thing mm. in the sense of someone watching it. Normally, when we watched TV programs where two men fell in love, before it was like such a uh, over the top drama. You knew that it was never going to be. It was always going to end in disaster because it wasn't natural. You know, it's like when you see a baddie in EastEnders, they're always going to end up in prison or die because it's EastEnders and they have to be seen to do that. Mm. And that's what they did with other gay characters before. They'd always end in a disaster because it wasn't right. Do you get what I'm saying? To you? They, they, the way that they saw it, they wasn't right for them to do, like to show it as a normal thing. But with a beautiful thing, it was so right. Yeah, and it wasn't overplayed. One of them wasn't extremely camp, and the other one wasn't this, and the other one wasn't that. It was two young kids, and it was it was it was, it was remarkable. And the, and the parents in it, and that, just the whole story, the way it was written, was so natural. It's interesting what you say about EastEnders because the current storyline, the gay sexual assault storyline, has been criticised because fans of the show have said, why can't you for once allow a gay relationship to be happy, 100%. to thrive and to feel really normal on a soap? We know it's a soap, but also there are some happy heterosexual relationships in soaps. Why can't there be some happy gay ones? 100%. You know what? When it comes to soap operas and, and stuff like that, let us be who we want to be. Let them go on to open up a business and let them go on to uh, to have children. Do you know how many of my gay of my gay friends? So I was going to say my gay. Yeah, I've got loads of gay friends. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know, so, so many of my friends, I've got children now, and yeah. it's such a natural thing. There's no one. Oh my god, that you know, gone are the days of saying gay be. Because you know, everyone used to say, oh, they've got a gay bee. Now it's like they've got kids and, and, and you, you don't think twice about it. But we live in a bubble, remember that. We, we do live in a bubble, so for us sometimes it's not really what other people see. And I think we, that's why we've still got such a long way to go. And that's why pride's so important. It really isn't. You know, even when they portray pride in, in EastEnders, it's so badly done. We, you know, it's rainbow flags and, and a bit of confetti and, and you know... It's like a Brighton of, in the 90s, isn't so it? It's so bad, it's so bad. And, you know, what it does is that just... That's throwing us back another metre. That's not taking us forward a metre. Yeah, we, it's great that you're doing those storylines, but get them right. That's I think, all. I think the trouble is that... A lot of gay people, okay, they have might have their wild years in the teens and the twenties and the thirties or later, but then a lot of them settle down, they go off into the countryside or the suburbs, they they, they get a Jack Russell and a three bedroom semi and all this kind of thing, and they lead quite what you might you know, a very middle of the road life. But the trouble is is that for shows like EastEnders, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, they don't want to show that because it's boring. Of course. But the trouble is 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 that um heterosexual people look at that and think 
oh my goodness, you know, gay people are always get, you know, they're always involved in all sorts of murkiness, etc., etc. Oh, totally. Why do you have to bring the gays into it yet again? Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. why is there a gay storyline? You know, God forbid they bring another Asian family in. There's uproar over that. There's uproar about a black family in Coronation Street. What year are we living in? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and it saddens me that we still make issues and people still make major drama out of the fact that they can't relate to something that's not within the hula hoop. Do you get what I'm saying, Joe? Having said that, I thought one great thing about Beautiful Thing, just to bring it back yeah. to that, was that, that there will be lots and lots of gay lads up and down the country in council estates, mm -hmm. in towns and cities and villages around this country who will have seen that and it will have given them a glimmer of hope. A hundred percent. And that's all we need is hope. Because yeah. up to that point, you know, you saw sort of gay storylines in very middle class environments and that kind of thing, you know, you know, stately homes. You mentioned Quentin Crisp earlier on, you know, a very upper middle class chap. Here were two working class lads just falling in love. Yep. And, uh, and that made a difference, didn't it? It made a massive difference because it made, as I said before, it made it real. You know, it, it made it accessible. It, that, it, that could be me. All of us love to think that we were, were that kid on that council estate. Mm. I, I mean, I grew up on a council estate. I, the amount of boys that I fancied on my council estate that I dreamed of being my boyfriend was unreal. And th that was so, what's so good about a beautiful thing at that time, you know, because but prior to that, gays on TV, homosexuals, as we called them back then on the TV, were a joke. They were a joke. They were seen to be, you know, as I said before, the Larry Graysons or the Dick Emerys or all of that stuff, you know, like gay characters of like, ooh, you know, Kenny Everett, all of that stuff, you know, point, painted us in a different picture. And th th when a beautiful thing came along, it became, it made it real. And I said it a lot. It, it, that's one word for it. And it, it, it really was a beautiful thing. We've got to celebrate Jonathan Harvey for that. Tony, we've talked a lot about telly of the past. We've talked about some of the present. But talking about telly of the future, hmm. um, what do you hope to see on TV? And will you keep watching? Uh, my t my uh, my series that I don't take requests. <laughs> We're in talks at the moment with like various film companies and TV companies regarding the book, which is it's mind blowing and incredible. So I mean, obviously, I I just I just think that the more less programs like t take me out where everyone has to be good looking or has to be a certain way and look a certain way well, like love island awful absolutely awful absolutely awful television it, it it's it's stinking thinking television that's what i like to think of it because you know what it does is it's depressing you know it's somebody slightly overweight when they're 13 and they're watching love island thinks that they can't be that person you know, it, 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 it's non-inclusive. We need to live in an inclusive world where everybody's accepted for who they are and what they are, regardless of colour, race, sexuality, creed, religion. It make, you know, we still have so many barriers to build and uh, to overcome. And the sad thing about it is television's still in that area. I just hope that we get more TV that's got more real reality in it, in a sense of... Because reality TV isn't so far from reality. Love Island's not real. Do you know what I mean? Do you like... Have you been to where they even film it? I have, I have actually, yeah. yeah you, well, we know that's not Love Island, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, in terms of your book being turned into uh, something other than a book, would you like it to be a TV show or a film? Do you have a preference? Oh, you know what? Right now, I'm more than grateful for anything that it becomes. Just that people read it and understand it. 
Mm. You know, it, 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 you know, for me, it's about someone reading it and, and, and the amount of messages that I get on Instagram alone a day from people that have, have just read extracts from it or have started reading because a lot of people got it the day before yesterday or proof copies are reaching out and just saying, I really struggled with abuse, I really struggled with this. That to me is a success. So where it goes from here is not in my hands anymore. I mean, obviously, you know, it's my story and it always will be my story, but as long as it helps people and people relate to it, I'm I'm a bestseller in my eyes. Whatever channel it ends up on, it's going to be on after the watershed, isn't it? Yeah, 100%, of course. Listen, it's like all things. We, You know, when you're growing up, you have to find your people. This book needs to find its people. And I'm very, very confident that it will. It definitely found us. We're so grateful. Well, thank you, guys. You've come to join us on Telly Talks today. DJ Fat Tony, thank you so much for coming on Telly Talks. I've absolutely loved your picks. You've chosen some great telly moments. You've been listening to Virgin Radio Pride's Telly Talks. I've been Rod. And I've been Benji. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Telly Talks. Virgin Radio Pride. The Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney Plus, celebrating all LGBTQIA plus identities.